0: Hey, Alex. I think we're live now. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Today, we're having our first Step Up Equity Matters Real Stories, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to it and happy that um, and grateful that Alex is here with us today. And thank you, Alex, for uh, joining us and for your willingness to share your story, both personally and professionally. Uh, A little bit about how Alex and I met Uh, when I was the president of the Latino Professional Association. I was looking for a Latino professional that can help us tell our story better. And somehow I found Alex and we talked about what that would look like. And at the time he was working in one of the uh, marketing agencies here in Madison and let's just say he was a little bit over our budget so it didn't happen right away but eventually we figured out how to get alex to help us tell the latino professional association story and it has been a delight to watch you uh, make the career moves that you've made alex and also It's been really great to work with you on a few different projects since then and very many different capacities. So I'm going to um, invite you, Alex, to share with us a little bit about your journey, both personally and professionally for your career and how you got uh, to filmmaking. Um, So Alex, please welcome. And um, we're excited you're here with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Tanya. Uh just want to check, can you hear me loud and clear? All right, awesome. Uh, what's your first question?
0: Just share us a little bit about your journey into filmmaking and how you got into this career um, and just the little different curves you've taken uh, to where you're at now.
1: Great, well, thank you for asking. I started uh, as a child actor. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. And uh, I was a professional actor for over 15 years. I started when I was eight years old. And uh, that really, I really got to see how Hollywood works. Um, I had an agent, uh, I was a working actor. I had done theater, film, commercials, and uh, went to a a theater performing arts school. Um, So I was really well-trained. I was more familiar with the method acting approach method acting. Um, And uh, I started getting a lot of roles. Uh, So it was a it was a fun time. I love acting. I still love theater performance. Um, And I I got to work with some incredible people, like great talent and directors and writers. Um, And and one thing, basically, I, I kept getting cast typed. I was noticing that I kept getting cast typed. And so that was kind of um, a a difficult reality for me when I was a professional actor and just trying to understand how can I get better roles or how can I get roles that depict uh, my community more accurately. Um, So yeah, that's how I got into the industry. Um, I had the honor to to win an Alma Award for one of my performances um, for a PBS TV miniseries called Photonovelas. Uh, and um, I was doing really well, but because I kept getting cast typed, um, I decided to step out and to step away from the entertainment industry and go to film school and see if I could uh, make a difference behind the camera. Um, that was kind of like the beginnings of all of this, Tanya, was like going to film school, learning the process of filmmaking um, out of college. I, I ended up working in creative development at one of the top five studios in Hollywood. And I was a script reader and I would write reports. And I basically had an, an uh, that that experience that I had as an actor, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why I kept getting cast typed. I kind of understood more why I was getting cast type when I was working in creative development. And so I really got to see the inner workings of how Hollywood works and um, ended up leaving that. I didn't think I had a uh, a future in the entertainment industry. I felt like if I was an actor, I was gonna get cast type and then and creative development. I just kept running up to the same tropes and stereotypes and kind of like the same narratives. And I was like, "Uh, I don't, I really love this industry, but I don't really enjoy the art that's being put out. And so that's, I kind of left it. Go ahead, Tanya, were you gonna say something?
0: Yeah, for those that don't understand what cast type is, do you wanna help us understand better what that meant to you and how that Um, cast type really affected your desire to pursue a career in Hollywood. Um, You know, I'm I'm just hearing you here today. I'm like, I wonder what it would be to have uh, Alex as a, I haven't actually seen you perform in a movie. I've seen your movies and I love all your movies. Uh, But like, I I really wish I would have had the opportunity to see um, what your career would have been if you felt you know empowered to pursue acting and not um discouraged by being cast type
1: yeah yeah thanks tanya yeah that um i think about that sometimes too <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would be your your like uh dream role like what would what would be your dream role in a movie
1: oh that's a great question mm-hmm. um I think it would be working with certain directors. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw someone put something on here. You could always star in your own film. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it would be, it would be uh, working with some directors that I really respect. Um, I think that would be a, a fun, interesting experience. Uh, it's a really fun dynamic to work with good directors and and to really perform. Um, to to really get into character. Um, But yeah, sorry if that's a generic answer, Tanya. There's so many different roles out there and and different stories. It's hard to kind of say, this is the the one that you know. I I would, if I was an actor, I would wanna do many of them, you know? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, just because I know some people probably don't know what cast type means.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, I
0: did not know until you explained it to me, if you wanna expand on what that means. Yeah. So
1: cast type basically means that, uh, so in acting, you have to do a lot of auditions and you, there's a casting director. So that's where the word cast type, you know, cast comes from. So there's a casting director who will uh, basically audition you for the role. Um, and what I discovered is the roles that I, were, that I was getting, it was pretty similar. So I kept getting the same roles, which was either a gang member or some other kind of delinquent, someone who was uneducated or someone who is poor. Uh, so that's what I meant by cast type is like, I kept the only roles that I kept getting that I was auditioning for were always these stereotypes about people of color.
0: And, and that was really one of the main drivers for you leaving acting and going into scripting. And what were and some then, of the things, yeah. go ahead.
1: What were you saying, Tanya?
0: What were some of the things you mentioned that uh, when you were doing the creative work, um, you understood better why you were in cast, why you were wearing yeah. cast side? Can you expand a little bit on like uh, what you learned while you were in that role? And <laughs> how do you think that knowledge would have helped you uh, yeah. in, you know, auditioning for other roles?
1: Yeah. So you're asking a very good question that is very complex to answer. Uh, And I will do my best to kind of give a summary, but basically the entertainment industry is over 120 years old and they've developed a system that they operate within of how they develop stories, how they sell them, and then how they go into production and then ultimately into distribution. They they've spent over a century developing this process and all, all all the studios use it. Um, and it started in early Hollywood with a producer named by Thomas Ince. And he basically coined, I mean, they, they coined the term Inceville because of him and, and he created like a lot of structure that is used in production. Um, and then there were some other people involved in Hollywood early on that were trying to mitigate risk because, uh, filmmaking is somewhat risky and art is somewhat risky. Like it's not always easy to make it profitable. And there's some interesting dynamics that have to happen to try to sell your work. And so these Hollywood executives basically found ways to mitigate risk. Um, And some of those ways that we see today uh, are by using very established narrative arcs. Um, they're not always bad. What I'm saying is like, I don't think this is always wrong, um, but I just want to do more with my career and I wanted to go further with narrative and storytelling. But in a, at a Hollywood level, you have films that are getting millions of dollars, you know, like some of them, hundreds of millions of dollars to make. So it's a huge investment. And the studio wants to ensure that they're going to make a return on that investment. Uh, so one of the ways that they mitigate risk is by star power. So, you know, you attach someone who's really famous to, to the storyline, um, and they're going to use star power as a uh, to draw in an audience because typically stars have a built-in audience, right? Um, and then another way that, uh, you mitigate risk is by using tropes. Like they're these predictable stories that they kind of, they're more designed for, for, for speed. So it's like, how quickly can we get to market? I mean, this is like basic business, right? Kind of mm-hmm. things. So, you, you probably deal with this all the time. <laughs> Startups and like how, how, you know, most viable product. Like how can we get these, how can we speed up the process? And um, <clears throat> what happens with that is that, There's these established writers in Hollywood that basically do most of the writing. And those writers aren't very diverse. They're the same people that have been working in the industry for decades and they keep writing within their, their successful recipe, which makes sense to me. Um, and there's this other dynamic that's involved, uh, Hollywood has a lot of um they operate within like a <clears throat> sorry excuse me i need some water they operate within a a um kind of like a like a freelance system basically so all these freelancers have these rep- representatives they have agents and to get into an agency is extremely difficult um and the agencies they've been around just as long as the studios have been around they're also very old and they, they have a lot of experience and they have their structure and the agents, they rep, they're like gatekeepers for Hollywood. So they decide who gets in and who doesn't. And that's another, there's like pros and there's cons to that. And one of the cons is um, it's just hard to break into the industry. And if you don't meet their profile or you don't match their perspective of what kind of actor or writer or director you should be it's it's for for a time it was nearly impossible to get in and and you had to have like a really close connection for someone to even vouch for your name um and so i when i was working at the studio i was working with these agencies and i was working with the top talent and i was seeing what they pitch all the time and it was very similar, like the structure and the things that they would pitch. And some of these things are very like predictable, like you know, action, sex, violence. You know, those are we've all heard that, and it's real. Yeah. And those things do typically draw an audience. Um, and it's harder to sell films that are more artistic because they don't really fall in a typical narrative structure that maybe follows a progression of action and violence and sexuality or beauty or whatever. But, um, so Hollywood really sticks to what sells. And another thing is that they typically work with pre-existing literature. They don't typically create a lot of new films, which is actually kind of ironic. So you'll see a lot of adaptations. And like that's why Disney bought the Avatar series. Um, they, these are like uh, pre-existing literature with a built-in audience. This is to mitigate risk. Um, so to, to invest millions of dollars on me as a person of color with unknown, with an unknown track record, it's almost impossible for me to get anything in Hollywood. Like I really have to spend more time developing a brand or, a, or an audience that might help when i approach a studio to try to sell something or like i have a built-in following that's ready to 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 consume this media that helps mitigate the risk Um, but typically hollywood works with people they know people who have a track record yeah
0: uh thanks for sharing that alex i remember when we first met um one of the areas around which you and I connected were about our our experience professionally, I'm coming financial industry and you're in the entertainment and movie making industry. And what struck me was that we were experiencing similar challenges, maybe through different lenses and different nuances, but in the end, the idea that um, it's really hard for uh, people like us who identified as Latinos or any, uh, person of color, or um, to really um, build a successful career without yeah. without having to break barriers, and you know the idea right. that 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 it's not the lack of talent that is preventing mm-hmm. us from achieving uh, or seeing diverse diversity within industries. But it's really the lack of investment in the 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 gatekeepers that you call them that is really hard to um, break that mold. And it, and building on that, I want uh, asked um, you know how was the thought process for you to found and grow and build Braver? Where yeah. did that came from? And yeah. I know that part of part of your passion is to um provide opportunity for different talent right
1: um
0: and so tell us a little bit about your you know sure. your thought process and passion and uh, inspiration to find uh to to create bra- braver and um yeah. basically um create your own path because the path that exists and there is not welcoming you
1: yeah, you know, this is a, a common narrative throughout US history, is um, our diverse demographics have to create their own, their own, like, uh, path, you know, we have to cr- forge our own industries, we, you, you look at the rich history of African Americans and creating their own stock market, you know, creating the Negro Leagues, like, like, we've always have had to do this. Um, and that's one of the, the one of the challenges that I faced when I was in Hollywood, um, that I didn't mention was that uh, being at the highest levels, you, you quickly saw that it was mainly one demographic, mainly one gender. And when one demographic and one gender is telling everybody's story, it's gonna to lead to a lot of tropes, like white savior tropes and other white tropes, gender tropes, um hero tropes, things of that nature. They're only speaking from their culture and their style. And yeah, they do talk about some of the other diverse stories that are in our country, but they're doing it from their lens, from from their like from their point of view. And so that was so Brave Bird, my company, you know the it's really in the name, Brave Bird. It's this idea, like, we have to be brave. Um, and I don't know if, if you were able to watch the inauguration today, but there was this amazing poem, named, poet named Amanda Gorman. And she ends her poem talking about how we are called to being brave. You know, like, we have to be brave. And that's what we, we see throughout history is, um, I don't think we can just afford to sit and wait for some someone to just drop this like magical career on you you we you really have to take the initiative and be brave and um, forge your own path and for me that path had to do with dignity um so dignity is something that I felt was severely lacking in the entertainment industry people are just resolved to to almost objects you know and it be, it becomes a numbers game and it all becomes about how much we can make. And what I wanted to do with Brave Bird was really create something uh, that reminded us of our humanity and really fought to depict dignity and to go deeper into the story, like to to really explore the nuances of narratives and to not have to depend on a trope to propel the story forward. Um, I also had another experience when I left the entertainment industry. I ended up in advertising and marketing. And when I was in advertising and marketing, I experienced very similar dynamics as I did in the entertainment industry. And what I began to realize is that I think this is across all industries. Right. I, I started to see like this isn't just a Hollywood problem or it's not just an advertising and marketing problem. I think this is the narrative across the entire country and throughout different verticals from tech uh, to manufacturing and healthcare. I mean, you see it all the time. I'm working with this great group at UW, these amazing graduate students working on their PhD. They're they're, they're talking about um, some of the discrepancies and, and the inequities that are in healthcare, right? So you start to see like, this is a greater issue. And when you look at who's in the companies, it's pretty much a similar narrative. One, mainly one demographic, mainly one gender. And so, with Brave Bird, I started to take all my experiences, and um, there was some anger in it, but not not like a, not like a violent anger, just like a righteous anger of like, you know, I'm just tired of seeing people suffer. I'm tired of people seeing be, being disrespected or being treated. Um, uh, you know, poorly or dehumanizing people. Uh, I worked, you know, in, in in spaces where I was the only person of color. And so I felt like with Brave Bird, we had an opportunity to do something totally different, bringing diversity from the top bottom and bottom up and, and really focusing on nuance narratives. And what we've seen, with Brave Bird and the work that we've been doing, we've been pushing the boundaries of storytelling. And we're seeing results. I think there was at first fear that my approach would not draw audiences, or that it wouldn't reach an audience. But instead, what I'm seeing is it's reaching a lot of audiences, it's reaching new audiences, because I'm telling stories that are more authentic to their culture. So it's drawing that whole group in. But it's also reaching um, pre existing audiences, what they like to call middle America, you know, yeah. middle America is basically, uh, white moms, you know, um, which is which is interesting. And that's a awesome. I'm not saying that it's wrong to market to that. But there's more people out there, you know, there's, there's other moms too, you know, and, and, and yeah. I really believe that there's A massive audience that's bigger than the white audience that's waiting to consume new media and to 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 invest in their communities and to 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 invest in brands like i know they are i know we are and so i'm really trying to focus on reaching new audiences not the 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 typical ones and um the way I I started Brave Bird, I, I just have to be honest with you, Tanya. I didn't do it because I didn't do it on my terms. I created Brave Bird because I got pushed out of my of the company that I was working with. And I had lost 50% of my income overnight. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was totally afraid. And I felt like a failure. And I felt like I i had nothing to offer to the world and my wife and i we were afraid how are we going to make it through this year but luckily and i think this is a, a you know divine providence from above i had been working on a short film it was going to it was my first short film called fantasy in d minor and right when i got pushed out of the company that's when that short film got picked up into all these film festivals across the world. And I had to make a decision and I was like, oh my goodness, our film, fest- our, our, our little film just got accepted into Oxford and into the Cannes Film Festival and to San Luis Obispo, California and all these different festivals around the, the world. And, and my wife and I, we were like, you know, why don't we go for it? Why don't we try to go to these film festivals and try to see where this film leads us? And, um, Brave Bird was originally started to make that short film. It was going to be the production company to make the film. And when I got, when I lost my job and we were, we weren't sure what was going to happen, what was going to happen in that film got into these film festivals. We decided to to go there. So we went to, we went to Oxford in the UK and and we went to Cannes in Paris and, and, and we went to Rome and, and when we were there, my wife and I, we just immersed ourselves in art. And we went on a tour to experience Michelangelo's masterpieces. And we almost visited all of his you know, his top pieces. Uh, and we went to the Vatican and we went in and, and looked at all the, the we, we looked at the Sistine Chapel, you know? And, and we, we saw the works of Raphael and Da Vinci. And when I came back home, and our film was doing really well. And we won Best International Short Film at Oxford. And when I came back home, I was like, we could do this, Noel. We just have to be brave. Like, we can do it. And, and that's what we did. And that, that's what we're doing, you know. So it, it hasn't stopped since then. When we landed on U.S. soil, we had work right away. And Tanya, you were one of the first ones that believed in us. And we got to do that beautiful project with you, step uh the the stepping stone that features uh, a local uh educator, Amparo Moreno, you know, and um and, and that was you, Tanya. You were right there <laughs> at the beginning. Thank no, you for I, having us. Thank you for, for letting us share that.
0: I um you know, I've been part of this journey in a sense that like I remember when you and I met, you were at that company um then you left uh or you know things happen. But I it is so much of the narrative of um uh, Madison because you are not the only um person who has experienced this where uh a completely talented, well uh, um, educated all of those things that uh we are told that if you get an education and if you uh, do all these things that you're supposed to do, then, you know, things uh, will get easier for you. And yes, they do get easier. I don't want to, uh, you know, undervalue education or any of those things. But the struggle is still there, like from a cultural point of view. Um, there is so many Latinas that have left Madison because they've had experiences mm-hmm. like yours. I remember part of my passion mm-hmm. for doing the LTAs, is like I had... Um, you know five five of my close friends who were um, women of color mostly who leave Madison because they have experiences like yours
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, where you know things are not working out in the no. company either they leave voluntarily mm-hmm. or involuntarily in your case and, and you know I'm just glad that you stayed in Madison because you know with your kind of experience you could have gone anywhere I really like any big city, any you know, larger um, advertising firm, get a bigger job. Like you could have done really anything with your kind of experience and your kind of knowledge and expertise, but you decided to stay here, and you've been telling Madison stories since then. You know, you've done the LPA story, but you also done the um, The community yeah the man mm-hmm. community there is the um center hispano story American, you've
1: done yeah.
0: the yeah you've done that uh, so many stories mm-hmm. that without um that weren't there before mm-hmm. that yeah. nobody were that nobody were telling these um bypass community stories in mm-hmm. madison and so i just been enjoying uh, watching you cre- tell our uh, BIPAC stories here yeah. in medicine, And also I want to say non-BIPAC, because you've also done white people's stories that are mm-hmm. also more dignifying to white people. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that you only are doing one kind of story, and I really mm-hmm. appreciate the richness that you bring when you um, are telling what our narratives are. Which brings me to like the one other part that I wanna really share and which I'm really excited and why we started working closely more uh, this year and the pre- prior year. Actually, you and I, I was so excited that we were on the same cohort for our business. Cause we, mm-hmm. you know, yay. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, yeah. students of Andy's uh, business of, uh, incubator. Like uh, Cause yeah. I- I decided to do my own business, um, and we we didn't plan it. We didn't even know we were applying for it, and then we showed up our right. <laughs> first meeting. And there you were. I was like, "Oh my god, Alex! This awesome. is so exciting!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we did that last year, and then COVID hit. And I know we've been through, you know, this like um, business peer, I guess, <laughs> uh, support system that we've had that has been really crucial. Yeah. to like survive COVID, yeah. both as a person and as a business right Oof. so tell us a little yeah. bit about what that was like for you um i know it wasn't easy because you know i was i wasn't mm-hmm. there there with you mm-hmm. but i was part of the ecosystem in which we were operating from a um the impact that these had especially on businesses yeah. like owned by bipac people that have that have less capital. that have right. less access to capital, financing options, and all of that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what sure. happened when that hit, and um, yeah. what you've done since then?
1: Yeah, obviously the you know COVID nineteen changed all of our lives, and and uh, it was it's definitely a very scary situation that we're in still. Um, and, and it's people are still hurting. You know, we have, I think over 400,000 people have, have died of COVID. Um, it's something that I, I don't, you know, none of us were really like, I don't think prepared for. Uh, I don't know how you prepare for that. Um, I will say, you know, when, when I think about all, a lot of the inequity happening in our country and our states and our cities and our communities right um i think something that keeps coming top of mind is who who's going to fight for me like who's who's going to be a voice for me and that's something that is severely lacking in a lot of these industries that you and i have worked in tanya is like when someone decides you know that for whatever reason they want to, they want to kick us out, or they don't want us there anymore. We don't really have that many people who fight for for us to stay, and so we see a lot of people leaving, and not only the companies, but also leaving the the state. You know, people don't feel like they have support; they don't feel like they have someone to to back them up. And uh, I think when COVID hit a lot of this inequity became very clear. Like it started to be really, really, it was like COVID really brought some perspective about a lot of, lot of problems, a lot of challenges that, that we have. And, and then not only that, but like the established companies and established industries, they started to teeter and they started to realize, oh man, if we can't if we can't uh, find a solution for this, we're going to be out too. And so you had like so many people just like really teetering on on losing everything. And you know, I I I didn't know if Brave Bird would make it through this, but. A bond started to form from our group you know that the that accelerator that we were in the starting block slingshot cohort that we were part of mm. um we were assigned mentors you in, in that program and when COVID hit those mentors really stepped up for us for brave bird and um that was really a blessing for us because uh one of our mentors really focused on like okay this is what's going on, this is what you need to do. Like you need to start, shed off all the extra expenses, really focus on doing this, you know, and and giving us all these tips and checking in on us and seeing if we're applying And I remember seeing uh, boards being made of like, have you been applying to this? And are you doing this? And all of a sudden there was like a voice that was being shared among us of like, how are you doing, you know? um hey did you apply to the second round or did you know that this is going to open up make sure you you apply on this day you know like people were really like on each other and uh my team did that as well we created uh an excel sheet <laughs> this was all like simple <laughs> stuff and we just started putting all of these resources on their national local community and even if it, if i couldn't get it like i would tell my friends i'm like hey like you should look into this like take a look at that. Or, Hey, did you apply to this? And um, we started to see more of like a community being forged and a community that backs each other up. And that was pretty cool. Uh, So that was pretty awesome. That helped a lot. And in the middle of the crisis, I was sitting right here and, you know, back here and looking out the window and, and uh, I had this crazy idea I don't even know if it's my idea because like the whole concept just like presented itself to me and it was for this film that i'm now doing it's called trace the line and you know my wife and i we were like this is crazy like it's a great story um maybe we can try to make it and my wife you know you know are we crazy to do this like hollywood is shutting down no one's making content people are just trying to survive right i'm trying to survive i lost at one point, I lost ninety over 90% of our income. My wife had come over to Brave Bird full-time. It was really scary. Um, and I, I said to Noel, I was like, you know, this if we could do this story safely, we might be able to create an opportunity to help our freelancers during this time by making this film. And Noel and I, we were like, we we can, let's try it. Let's try to do it. And so we, I started writing and started contacting people and trace the line became a little, like a little um, lifesaver for a lot of our freelancers who had lost all their work, just like me. And we were like raising funds and, Doing virtual showings, and you know, we ended up raising um, some good money to to do production, to enter into production, and we shared those funds with our freelancers because I'm I'm so close to losing my freelancers, and if I lose my freelancers, I lose my X factor for Bravebird. Like Bravebird isn't just me; it's a community of diverse creatives but when COVID happened they had to go and get jobs at whole foods or go work at mcdonald's or pick up some like other job at night to try to make ends meet and all of a sudden we're losing all these amazing artists because they're just trying to survive right and so i was hoping well we we basically like asked everybody what's your minimum like what's the minimum you need this month And then we went and started fundraising for all of them and started giving what we could. And, you know, part of that, it, it kind of, some of it breaks my heart because like, I know they're worth so much more, but at the same time, we saw an opportunity that if we could make the film and, and sell it and get it out there and have a successful film, that would be a win for everyone. Right. And they would all be able to get paid what they're worth. So that's kind of um, what we did, Tanya. We uh, we made a movie and then <laughs> we try to raise money, you know, during the hardest time to raise money almost, you know, like everyone's tightening their pockets and yeah, it, it was scary. And we applied to grants and, and thanks to grants and and organizations like Starting Block and other organizations and people started to pour in um private donations and and funds. And we started sharing that with the group.
0: I, I really appreciate your um, ability to, you know, in such trying times and where your own livelihood at stake, but your ability to think of the impact to like everybody else. Um, and I connect with that because it was the same experience that I had in the sense of, when people were applying for the, uh, the payroll protection program or the federal grants mm-hmm. program, the thing I kept thinking of was, you know, so many of the Latino businesses that don't, yeah. uh, that cannot apply, but they keep paying, they are required to pay taxes and then be paying taxes for all their lives because um, you can't be a business and not pay taxes, but they can't, um, they can't get any help. And it's right. often and it's often the ones that also don't have a lot more capital to tap into it, and it's all that livelihood that they have. So, I appreciate that uh, in your work and and the way that you think about things is that mm-hmm. you can. Um, it takes very special people to uh, be in in crisis, and in that moment of crisis. Um, think about you, yes, because you also need to, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. standing in order to be a resource for others.
1: Right. But And also think
0: about, think about what can I do for everybody else that doesn't have the same resources that I do. So, um, and I, I know that your team and the people that have been doing the, um, the interviews for Trace the Line, the people that yeah. have been part of that, this was not only a financial help, but it was also emotional and um, uh, community support and dealing with the uh, unrest of racism during that time as well. So um, tell us a little bit how it all unfolded uh, through production and then in terms of how did the Trace the line became a, a way through which pretty much all your team were processing the racism that we were experiencing uh, Mm -hmm. at that time, last summer.
1: Yeah, um, production was incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult to do what we did in the middle of a pandemic, with social unrest, political upheaval, a lot of polarization, People are so sensitive. You have to walk on eggshells. You, you almost can't even share anything. You can't even learn. You know, you if, even if you want to learn about someone, like it's like you have to be so careful how you tread. Um, so it was very, very, very difficult. And uh, we had some incredible support from the community. We we had some incredible support from some foundations like the Human Family Found hum, the Um, Human Family Unity Foundation, and they really believed in what we were trying to do. And thanks to them and uh, their private donations from Madison, uh, they were like, we got to try to help you and do as much as you can, you know. And um, one of the things we really wanted to invest in was, believe believe it or not, food, because I couldn't pay everyone what they were worth. But if I could pay them a little bit and give them really good food, and take good care of them, like create a very safe environment. That that that's also a win. And so, um, we hired uh, our, a dear friend of ours who worked on my first film. Uh, her name's Carola Breckbill, and she's in Stoughton, and she's a plant-based chef. And she would, and she's also a, a nurse, and her husband's a doctor. She's very familiar. she's very, very good when it came to COVID. Um, and she took care of all the meals for us. And everyone got their, 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 their specialized meal, you know, and everyone ate well and we made sure to wear masks and we, we had, um, a lot of our filming was done outdoors and, uh, and the story is so unique. I mean, I, this is a COVID film, like trace yeah. the line is 100% a COVID film. So I embraced everything. I wasn't going to try to pretend that they were going to be able to, you know, ignore masks and things like that. So in the film, they have masks and, the actors never touch. (laughs) It's probably, (laughs) I wonder if it's the first film where actors never touch. And I wonder, (laughs) um, I've never heard of that before. And they're always six feet apart, which I've never heard before. So this is a really unique visual. Um, and I think viewers are going to really enjoy watching it. It's going to, it's an incredible story. Um, and, uh, we had a very small, you know, we, 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 on set we wanted to stay under a certain number to keep it not you know we don't want too much too many people uh so yeah these were a lot of the procedures we had to do temperature checks um and uh at the same time we're trying to raise funds <laughs> to try <laughs> to like uh, there I'm not even kidding you Tanya there was one we were about to go into production we had we had everything like, we had all the actors, we had the cast and crew, we had the the equipment. But I, I was coming up short on food and insurance. <laughs> and that was going to be $10,000 in just those two things. And I was like, oh, my goodness. We have everything. How How are we going to be able to, except for these two things, you know? And you have to, people have to eat, you know? And we're Cinema Dignite. Cinema Dignite is my methodology of, of how we treat people with dignity, how we treat story with dignity in film. And I was like, I can't make a film if I'm not going to treat people well. You know, because to me it's really about who you tell the story with um, and, and, and who's telling the story. So I didn't. I was a week away, and I didn't have the money. And we had this gift that happened from crazy i don't even i'm still trying to remember how that this all played out but we had these great supporters of our film and at the 11th hour they donated everything we needed and we went into production so this film was always a a, a thing of like are we gonna are we gonna make it (laughs) are we gonna and, and yes we did at every turn it was addressed yeah. and we made it and we did it as a community and that whole team bonded so much. Like our film team, like, and and also it's the first time they made a movie, N- except for our cinematographer. He's worked on feature-length films before, but this was my first feature-length film directing. And everyone who else, everyone else who worked on it, it was their first feature-length film. And and we also had to take a week, week and a half to train the crew how to how to film so that there's also that dynamic but we we did it tanya and we did it with no COVID 19 incidents on set awesome. or so, you know, on our production
0: i literally cannot wait to watch this film so for those who don't know i'm uh, trying to help the team finish across uh, the finish line uh by again doing what they've been doing all along which is you know <laughs> raise gonna... enough money for the next step and raise enough money for the next step for the so, ne- exactly so the next step right now for Trace the line is uh to uh post-production which is editing and music and all these other things that i never knew uh but then also needs to get paid for because there are people that do these work that need to get paid for so we are actually raising forty thousand dollars yeah of which that's the goal to actually finish the movie so i can so my very selfish interest, like, I want to raise this money so we can I can watch this movie. Because for me personally, I'm really excited to see um, this movie that depicts a Black uh, poet in a white visual artist, process COVID-19, and the um, unrest that we saw last summer. And really, uh, through this film, um, I think it's going to be an authentic um, visual of what all of us have been going through um, in our own way, and our own difference. But I, I really am very excited to see this film because of the work that I do. You know, like um, I think that um, finding these bridges and finding understanding what's going on underneath uh uh these individuals and other people and i think your film is going to um help us you know uh, help us really put 2020 behind us in a way Mm -hmm. that both honors it uh celebrates Mm -hmm. our resilience but it also honors our pain and our suffering through it. So I I really, selfishly, I really can't wait because I feel like it's going to be, like you said, a healing process, you know, art is healing. And I think that we have a lot of healing to do from 2020 and prior years as well.
1: You know, Tanya, (laughs) so many amazing people came together during COVID to make this film. And I really owe, owe it to them. And they... You know Matthew, who you saw. I, I hope you guys could hear his poem. Were you able to hear his poem? Yeah, that was. Yeah. yeah. Great. So Matthew is a real poet. That these are he he commissioned that piece uh, to the for the film, and uh, Brooke, who you saw there, uh, she's she's a real artist, a real painter, visual artist. Um, and you know th- this peop- these this cast and crew they they're just so talented and they risked so much to make this movie. Like they did this in a pandemic, and that's you know it's it's still risky. Um, so I really I feel so grateful that they they trusted my vision and they came alongside me, and that we took care of each other along the way. Um, and and we really need help. We need help to to finish the film. Like like you were saying, Tanya, we're trying to raise some finishing funds for post production. We'd love to raise more funds for the whole cast and crew. Um, and and continue continue to support our creative endeavor.
0: Yeah, I am so glad that um, we had this time to share uh, with a wider audience on your work and your vision you. um, and the film. Um, you know, I think this is this is your first, but I'm I'm absolutely a hundred percent sure it won't be your last. And I'm really excited to watch your continue to watch your career soar. And transform, and excited to to see more narratives that are authentic to our experience currently, and and this um, mm-hmm. very uh, pivoting, I will call it pivoting um, time in history. You know, there are some times in history that, that like require change, and I think that these these times that we are living in um, are that one of those and so I'm excited that you're here to capture those narratives and that story that's happening. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you for uh, not just today, but for sharing with us your gifts, your work and your talents. And also thank you for creating a community where other people can feel like they belong and share their talents with the rest of us.
1: Tanya, thank you so much for believing in us, for supporting us, for from the beginning, for being such an advocate of my work, and and introducing us to more people. Um, and and I, you know, we have so much talent here. Like Madison has so much talent, and the film shows it. It shows what we were able to do. Um, I mean, I know we can do so much more, and I think we just need we just need a little more support. You know, we just need, we need it. We're so close. And I think we can really come together and make some real changes here in in Madison. Um, Thank you for being a a, a front runner of that, Tanya.
0: Well, thank you. And thanks everybody who joined us today. Um, Yeah, thank you. This will be uh, live or shareable after probably at the end of the week. So if you want to share with some of your friends um, Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the nuggets of wisdom that Alex shared with us today. Thank you, and have a great um, inauguration day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I different. did
0: not put two and two together. Like I did mm-hmm. not put today inauguration. Yeah. So so thanks for being <laughs> here, and I took you away from watching the inauguration.
1: <laughs> the inauguration was so beautiful, and I I feel so honored that we got to do this today on on such a beautiful day. We have a a, a wonderful future that lays ahead for all of us. 2021 is like okay after watching that inauguration i was like let's go we could do this <laughs> let's
0: go <laughs> thanks alex yeah and have, thank a, have a good afternoon everybody
1: yeah thank you for joining have a great one bye